I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome to another episode of Seriously. Anna has been on an outing to a comics reading group, is that right? Yeah, um, so this was at Gosh London, uh, which is a comics shop uh, on Berwick Street in Soho. And it was hosted by a group called Let's Talk Intersectionality. And they do a lot of different reading groups. And I think they work in association with the Feminist Library, which mm, we yeah. know and love, which is sort of between Elephant and Castle and Waterloo, is yeah, that right? Yeah. The idea was sort of to discuss like issues of intersectionality and oppression and feminism and all this kind of stuff uh, in relation to comics. It was a really like nice, chilled out evening. There was like lots of free booze. There was a little introductory bit with like slides, but mostly it was, you know, a, a discussion group. So even though there were loads of people there, like a lot of people turned out for it, we sort of all split off into smaller groups and basically had a chat about comics and cinematic universes and representation. And lots of people there had sort of like done their own projects, you know, whether they'd like written their own comics or like created their own zines in response to some of the problems they saw in comics. So it was a really, really cool evening and they were pushing a load of what they felt were more like feminist comics and graphic novels so Alison Bechdel was there Persepolis was there lots of the stuff that we've been talking about lately so yeah it was really cool no it sounds really good and since as listeners who've been following over the last few episodes we've been getting more and more into comics we've we've read a few I'm actually gonna just start Fun Home that you read a few weeks ago just shortly as my next thing I read so yeah no that sounds really interesting and uh, yeah if there's another one I definitely want to come along so this was part one and part two is coming up so yeah if people are interested they should go Google, let's talk intersectionality and I, I think the next one will also be at gosh in, mm. in Soho mm. sounds great so the next thing we're going to talk about also started its life in graphic novel form and that's Diary of a Teenage Girl which was um, a graphic novel by Phoebe Glockner I'm sorry if I haven't said her name right though I had a flick through the the original graphic novel and it's not so graphic novelly. It's it's very stream of consciousnessy, a lot of thoughts written out and then interspersed with drawings. So basically Diary of a Teenage Girl is the story of Minnie who's fifteen and she lives with her mum and her sister and her mum's boyfriend is in and out on the scene. My name is Minnie Getz. I'm recording this onto a cassette tape because my life has gotten really crazy of late. I had sex today. I'm so happy. (laughs) 
If you're listening to this without my permission, please stop now. Just stop. I'm gonna kill you! I think the original comic, graphic novel, whatever you want to call it, is written from her perspective. And the film that we've seen very much tries to replicate that idea of it all being told specifically from Minnie's perspective. And as the story develops, Minnie discovers her sexuality, but the way that that happens is with her mum's boyfriend, Monroe, who's obviously much older than her, definitely taking advantage of her. But the film really plays with that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you are left... You were left in doubt, at least I was, mm. about whether what's happened is a wholly bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it a lot after I'd seen the film and I decided that whilst it's probably not ideal that her sort of first few sexual encounters were with someone with whom she had such an imbalanced power dynamic, mm-hmm. they seemed to have a nice time together, they seemed to, uh, when they were actually sleeping together, ultimately not the worst thing that happened to her. It prompted a lot of um, sort of self-examination and sort of development on her part which is a good thing. The film is always very keen to whatever we might think of what's actually happening, to keep her agency in mind all the time. So whether we think that this is a good relationship or not, Minnie chooses it. There's no, there's no real uncertainty about that. She goes out there and she makes it happen. And obviously it's completely questionable how far a 15-year-old girl can ever choose to get with a man so much older than her. That's something that we all know is, is not straightforward and is, is very complicated. And at times the film can be very dark because of that but the film is not patronizing in it and it's not going to flinch away from the idea that Minnie could have made choices for herself at this age yeah absolutely and it it keeps her view in mind all the time Mm. so even the way that it shows them having sex them together changes according to how she's feeling about him at the time because she goes through various phases there's a point at which she thinks she's in love with him there's a point at which she really really hates him there's a point at which she's just so happy about getting to have sex that she's kind of feeling well disposed towards him even though she thinks he's a bit stupid and that is brilliant that kind of you almost never get to see that sort of like variegated approach to the same person yeah and they there is sort of a there's obviously a feeling throughout that Monroe is using her and that he's just rubbish that's my overwhelming feeling about him (laughs) exactly he's rubbish at being in if you can call what they had a relationship with Minnie he's equally rubbish at being in a relationship with her mum I mean the fact that these two things are happening at the same time Um, proves that he's rubbish at both uh, and he's also just rubbish at life like his sort of pipe dream that he's going to become like a kind of vitamin sales billionaire (laughs) is obviously lame you know he's just he's just a waster yeah and I think one of the things that's so amazing about the film is that Minnie realizes this for herself there's a really brilliant scene where the two of them there's been lots of ups and downs they've been seeing each other for a long time and I think he's tried to break up with her I mean I say tried but very half-heartedly not at all tried to break up with her it doesn't count if you then make make out with the person (laughs) yeah exactly um and you know saying it's very complicated you wouldn't understand and obviously she understands most things far better than he does but they they take LSD in his room at his flat and Monroe really doesn't come out of it well he doesn't have a good trip to say the least and he's cowering on the floor fearful that something terrible is happening there's a monster Minnie meanwhile is having this trip where she feels incredibly powerful she's stretching her arms out wide as though she's got wings there are sort of feathers appearing on her and she's floating in the air 
And so she's having this moment of feeling incredibly powerful, watching Monroe weep like a child. And he starts saying that he loves her and hugging her. And it's one of the most revolting scenes of like grown man babiness ever captured on film. And it's horrifying. Mm. And she really sees it as horrifying and understands that actually this guy, just because he's old, doesn't mean he's a man and doesn't mean that he's attractive. Absolutely. What's even better about that scene, actually, I thought, is that the film uses Minnie, the character's interest in drawing and sort of comics and so on, to kind of embellish the the screen. So a lot of the time, either you see a whole sort of intercut bit of animated drawing, or it sort of overlays the scene. And, And so her kind of her acid trip when she thinks she can fly you see these kind of sketched in glowing red wings appear on her arms and she starts to float Um, and it's really really beautiful Mm -hmm. and then he starts whimpering and her wings just kind of disappear in a puff of smoke and it's really really upsetting Um, but all the way through I just that's visually that's the part I like the most was this kind of like you the viewer could share what she could see in her mind Mm -hmm, yeah it's brilliant I I think one of the scenes that really stuck with me is when there's lots of cuts to her imagining her own life playing out or how people think of her and she draws herself in a very sort of unflattering light Minnie's 15 so she's obviously gorgeous because she's got the glow of youth around Mm. her she's a little overweight well actually I wouldn't even say she is overweight but the cat the idea in the script is that she's a little bit overweight and she draws herself in this really unflattering way uh, where she's like enormous and there are a few uh, sort of comic-y scenes where she's striding down the roads around her house with these enormous legs and this incredibly huge wobbling arse Mm. and holding up these tiny little men because she feels that she has this kind of inescapable sexual desire that is like dwarfing all the men around her. There's a scene where someone says that she's too intense. Yes, it's when, when, because as well as having this, um, this relationship with Monroe, she's also experimenting a bit with boys her own age and it's when she's with I can't remember his name I'm not even sure if you'll find out his name some boy <laughs> some insignificant some speck insignific- of masculinity <laughs> he, he kind of says he wants to stop because having sex with her is too intense basically he's a, he's never seen a girl in touch with her own sexuality before and the idea that Minnie might derive pleasure from this interaction mm. is terrifying and shocking to him yeah so it it's absolutely perfectly embodied by a giant version of her holding up a tiny version of him while she sobs what what why what are you talking about yeah yeah and so those ways of really like getting across the insecurities and the imagination that you have at that age to really kind of like caricature yourself but also everything that's going on around you is like so spot on and really like made me feel weirdly like emotional Mm. i also really like the kind of setting and milieu of the whole film Mm. it's set in 1970s San Francisco and I get the sense her mum was very young when she had Minnie so she must be like max early 30 she Mm -hmm. can't be very old and so she's very much still kind of partying and living her life to the max and all the rest of it at the same time as Minnie is just getting in touch with her own kind of teenagehood and so there's lots of random adults in their house taking drugs and yeah oh I loved I, I loved the clothes as well all the high-waisted jeans and the kind of fringes and stuff and like the brilliant. luxury of it all even mm. though they clearly don't have much money there's still a weird sort of sense of glamour and luxury in those scenes to Lo- their home lots of kind of deep pile rugs mm. and all that kind of stuff yeah and I think that dynamic is so wonderfully portrayed on screen Belle Powley plays Minnie and um, Kristen Wiig plays her mum mm. and they have a really great sort of charisma yeah they do and there's a bit actually quite near the end where her mum sort of says to her if anyone asks we're sisters and you can kind of see in her face that she's going she's maybe 70% a joke 
but 30% like why are you the better younger version of me yeah this and is it's, so unfair and the fact that they can have that moment of, of lightness between them and say that kind of thing after Minnie's mum has discovered that her obviously then ex-boyfriend has been sleeping with her daughter the mm. entire time that they were together it's obviously really difficult for her and when Minnie tries to apologize to her for it she says we're not going to talk about that ever and it's drawn a line under and mm. they don't speak about it but the idea that she can then a few weeks later I think it's implied in the film say we're sisters if anyone asks it, it really brings back that that joy to their relationship yeah. and shows that they can actually get past an insurmountable thing between them yeah absolutely for for all of the terrible things that happen in the film I found it weirdly uplifting it's a very hopeful film like considering that Minnie goes through so much turmoil she's essentially you know abused mm. uh she goes through a period of difficulty with people at school and people calling her a whore she gets really into drugs and she's at these weird parties all through the night she's homeless Mm. for a while there's lots of really dark stuff but you don't come out of there feeling i certainly didn't anyway feeling depressed no it's really for me it gives me that joy in like teenage girldom that Mm. i often have yeah it's it's a great film for that um which is why we should probably mention the the classification of the film has been a bit controversial because it is an 18 certificate and several people um our previous podcast guest june erikadori for one have have made the point that given that it's such a great realization of that moment of teenage girlhood teenage girls can't go and see it yeah and that doesn't make any sense and so before i saw the film i was very much from that point of view going like this is just prudish people Mm. censors but actually now that i've seen it i i'm now undecided about it but i think I think I feel like it probably has the right classification. And that's not because of the sex stuff, but it's because of the drugs. Right, sure. I mean, I don't know if I agree, because for me, the drug use is not so... You know that it's happening, but it's not very It's not very graphic. It's not very in-your-face. And it's not glamorised either. I don't think you could come away from that film being like, man, I wish that I could do loads of LSD and like have this man sobbing into my lap. But apart from that, nothing massively bad happens to anyone who takes drugs also you never see because the the thing that was sort of niggling at me all the way through is like how are they paying for all these drugs i was sort of like i felt like it was there's a prostitution yeah it was a bit there was but that wasn't really explored so in watching the film you didn't necessarily get an entirely realistic idea of how that lifestyle works it's funny because some of the things that they arguably you know made the film an 18 on the back off in barbara speed has done an article first that's um, really good about this she's done a couple actually and one of the things that earned it its 18 classification was quote marks mechanical thrusting which <laughs> you know when it comes boiled down to these phrases to me there's just a real absurdity there is but everything is absurd when you boil it right down Mm -hmm. i think for me as well if this was a violent film i would be much more behind you know Mm. a a classification like that yeah i sort of hope that people like june and so on will will see it when they're 18 anyway but i think in general it's probably for me anyway a good thing that it's got the classification that it has but it is still an excellent film and i highly recommend listeners check it out yeah please go and see it it's amazing I got a girl, she's sweet as can be All the other boys want to be like me And oh, isn't life sweet? Danny, isn't life sweet? Now we're going to talk a bit about Marvel's Agent Carter, 
which is a TV series that sits in the sort of Marvel comics franchise of adaptations. I've checked this out with a few comics nerds of my acquaintance, so I feel confident in saying that it is the only solo female-led property that exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You can quibble over whether Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actually has a male and a female lead. You can argue about that in your spare time. But <laughs> the, the point remains that Peggy Carter in, indeed Agent Carter, is the only woman to kind of front her own aspect of the franchise. I really like this series. It's only just actually found a distributor in the UK. It's, it's on Fox, but you can also download it from iTunes and find it other ways. Um, <laughs> if you've seen a few of the Captain America films and so on, you might have seen the character of Peggy Carter played by Hayley Atwell. She's kind of Captain America's love during the Second World War. And then she pops up in a kind of slightly older version in various other films. In fact, she's in the beginning of Ant-Man, which yeah, we I talked about a few weeks like, ago. Look, there she is, Agent Carter. <laughs> in an entirely she'd aged a totally improbable amount given the timescales but whatever yeah, she's got <laughs> very old and like looking amazing for it if she could still possibly be alive in that film yeah but at least they put her in it yeah. but so she has her own tv show as well anna what did you make of it yeah i thought it was really fun i think fun is the word i would use oh, to yeah, describe absolutely. it it's, it's like a bit silly but like really really enjoyable Haley atwell's fantastic i think she's really got a sort of poised that is quite hard to come by mm. in this kind of role because any actor playing that role would probably be a little bit aware of like the, the campness of it oh yeah um, but she but it's so important that the character has this complete dignity and she does that so well i was really surprised to see dominic cooper in there which probably shows how little i know about the marvel cinematic universe i did not know that dominic cooper had played howard stern or stark, stark. So, howard stern yeah is another guy. although but two people have played howard stark i think because so he's he's sort of young howard Stark and I think he's in one of the Captain America films I can't remember yeah I, th- but I then, looked it up and he has he's definitely been in one of the big movies but then um I've forgotten his name but the guy who plays Roger in Mad Men he plays old Howard Stark in a flashback <laughs> in in one of the Iron Man films and they're what the same age or something yeah or certainly not the age disparity that they're pretended to have but yeah so Dom, Dom, it's actually given how all-American Marvel is. Mm. Um, it's actually got Early quite a lot British. of British actors in. So obviously Hayley Atwell, Dominic Cooper is Howard Stark plus moustache. And then... He's um, very handsome. He's, I'm just going to throw it out there. He is he's very so handsome. So lovely to look at. <laughs> and then James Darcy plays Jarvis. The butler. And those are, for me, the only really fully realised characters in it. Definitely. I can't even remember any of the names of the random American goons who Peggy Carter works with at her intelligence bureau. Yeah, it's like the shit men and then one guy who tries earnestly to be a little bit less shit. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The other men, and that's like their personality. That's it. So so that was actually a disappointing aspect to the series because I felt like both, you know, the character of Peggy Carter and also the actor Hayley Atwell could definitely stand up to some stronger support from the rest of the cast. But I think they were just written as two-dimensional stereotypes. It's no shade to the actors playing them. But yeah, so it only has actually, unusually for a, an American television series, eight episodes in its first one. So to me, it feels quite thrillery and pacey. Mm. And it moves very quickly, which I it felt to me like it was mirroring sort of the the comics that it actually has it come from a comic at all she is a character in some of the comics but but she doesn't have her own i don't think so but anyway regardless it it felt to me that it was very much a like comic-y pace of like sudden like bit of action and then like back to a new scene with a new character in a new atmosphere and then another random bit of action comes and surprises Mm. you yeah, I liked uh, Peggy Carter's action scenes, actually, because um, mm. it reminded me quite a bit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, in the sense that they didn't try and pretend that this like small woman without obvious bulging muscles was secretly made of steel or anything, and instead gave her a kind of improvised fight style where she like picks up things from the ground and whacks people or grabs a hat mm-hmm. stand and you know that kind of was just and isn't afraid to run away when the only answer is to run away yes exactly so i like that that was something that reminded me of buffy and and various other kind of female-led action films and as you say even in the kind of direst of straits peggy carter is still very kind of poised and dignified Mm. and very sure of herself i really like that in a female character i like that they don't have to be strong in a conventional sense that can itself be its own kind of damaging stereotype but also they don't have to go on a kind of voyage of self-discovery and cry all the time they can just go no i'm really good at my job and i'm right about this yeah i haven't watched that much of the series but i was gonna ask you that like is there a danger that agent carter falls into that like strong female character i don't think she does others may disagree with me mostly because she's she's kind of tempered by her sort of difficult personal life in the sense that she's still getting over what happened in the war and how much she misses captain america Mm -hmm. and she's also really really pissed off with howard stark for what he's got her into Mm -hmm. so she's got i think more dimensions to her personality and to her sort of backstory that come out that prevent her just from being a kind of i'm a strong hero who doesn't behave like a woman because women can't be strong heroes kind of thing yeah she's really charismatic as well which i think really stops her from feeling too like i'm just strong i have to Mm. do things i've got my gun in my purse the fact that she's really like witty and just generally seems like she's also nice and not like the the stereotype sort of like bitchy strong mm. female character like she's very loving to other people and she also grows and develops a bit particularly in her non-work relationships i'm thinking particularly of her friend who works in the diner mm. there are a few occasions where this friend kind of says oh well you know you can live with me or we should do stuff together or and peggy kind of blows her off because she's like i'm on a case i'm really really serious mm. and then later on she's like actually no sorry i i was wrong that was a really nice offer i i should have said yes you yeah. know so 
she's not single-minded in that way and you do actually get to see her correcting her mistakes and there is a bit of nuance there it's mm. not like she has to fulfill the role constantly yeah oh, i also i can't remember when it happens but i really love the bit where her her friend who works in the diner is having a hard time from this horrible customer and um <laughs> and she, but she can't afford to kind of sass him because then she'll lose her job so peggy just like grabs a fork and does some things with it that only a secret agent would know what to do and and the guy agrees that he's yeah never going to come to this restaurant again <laughs> and leaves her sort of embarrassedly like leaves a big tip on the table and runs out the door yeah i love that because that's another example of what you're saying she'll use a fork to mm. like stress someone out or threaten mm. their life you know she's very improvisational but in a very practical way like you don't see her like suddenly like create an enormous mm. sword out of things lying around it's never unbelievable it's yeah. like oh actually if I did know where that artery was, I probably could shove a fork in mm. there really, really hard. Uh, oh, and actually, I just remembered, I love the bit where she, she sort of diffuses a comic booky neutron bomb or something, like, in her oh, bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with some vinegar and yeah. some other things it, from the kitchen cupboard. It feels very... Well, it's that brilliant thing of bringing the terror home with you mm-hmm. and how much more scary it is when the bomb is in your bathroom than when it's sort of in the spooky warehouse where you found it. <laughs> yeah, I also found that moment weirdly very, like, British 1940s, waste not, want not, like, mm. use what you have at home that sort of like <laughs> i'll just use the like vinegar to yeah, dissolve make this do bomb and then. Yeah. exactly i think the show has a very strong period aesthetic actually mm-hmm. because i think part of where other shows that are set in the kind of 40s and early 50s fall down is they immediately go well the war's over everything was glamorous and great whereas i mean i know this is set in new york but you know in britain there was rationing well into the 50s and you know lots of bombed out buildings didn't get rebuilt for 15 years mm-hmm. life was still pretty warlike and grim and i think they make a point out of the returning gis and how difficult it can be for them to kind of fit back into their old jobs or even find their jobs and the colleague the one colleague you mentioned the one who is something slightly more than just a kind of shit sexist (laughs) stereotype you know he's been he's been injured um, and now he sort of walks with crutches Mm -hmm. um but is, so his masculinity but his, is not so as, his masculinity yeah. has been damaged and he's still trying to prove himself as an agent <laughs> and you kind of get the sense that although he's not the best drawn character he's kind of standing in for the kind of wounded men of america yeah. in that sense and i think it, that that sort of war hangover you mentioned as well in a piece that you've written about this the the, the problem of being someone who uh, was a woman during the war and really stood up and like took on lots of responsibility which is clearly something that agent carter has done and you kind of constantly being reminded that she must have developed this enormous skill set while everyone else was fighting in the war so that really is kind of always following her around in her interactions with men and she's also sort of got a personal hangover from Mm. the war where she's still grieving some Mm. you know the life of someone she loved so that's kind of constantly reminding you that this is not a period of like great sort of glamour and wonder that's another thing i like about the show is that you get on that kind of deep level the the difficulty she's facing that you know she was a serious and highly respected agent and then partway through 1945 the war ended and now she's effectively the woman who makes tea for the Mm. other agents because you know the real agents aka the men came back from war and they didn't need her anymore so that's obviously a deep and important theme of the show but it's also where quite a lot of the more light-hearted comedy comes from yeah definitely because all she does is do all her kind of detecting and world saving in her own time 
But with this added sort of danger that they can't find out that she's doing it <laughs> because otherwise, I don't know, their poor egos will get bruised and she'll probably get fired. So she does a lot of like dressing up and putting on wigs and sort of hiding round corners and stuff to make sure that they don't know how awesome she is. Yeah, and that's a lot of the fun of the show. And I think also, weirdly, that humour makes it less camp because mm. it's like a show that's not able to laugh at itself. It's, it can be so overblown and mm. ridiculous, but there is this constant undercutting, mm. which I really like. And I really like as well the, the way they've set up the the dynamic with so we the viewers obviously know everything that Peggy is up to Mm -hmm. whereas most of the characters on screen do not yeah I always appreciate feeling like I have a kind of special insight into something though there are some things and again is this is this me not knowing anything about the Marvel world that I feel like we don't know so the end of the first episode the butler is on the phone presumably to Stark and he's like oh she'll be perfect she's oh that gets explained later on am I meant to be like what the that is going on that's supposed to be really mysterious <laughs> okay yeah. yeah so that actually was mysterious i thought maybe if i you know maybe like the secret is iron man and he will come in 30 years time <laughs> <laughs> i was just like didn't understand that no no i think i think that they were trying to be cliffhanger either okay cool mm. so if i'm thinking about carrying on with this show how much dominic cooper is in it um increasing amounts okay good <laughs> so he's not in it for a few episodes because he's you know you've seen him go off in his boat yeah yes. i didn't really get that and then she was like oh but he hates boats yeah so he's gone off in his boat for a bit i don't, don't really understand it. that <laughs> um and but i think i can't remember at what point but he comes back a couple of episodes later and then he's in it more and more okay. and then he's definitely in it loads at dragging the, like, his mustache along dragging with his mustache at one point he flies a plane okay it's cool. very sexy i'm here for that yeah i hope that there's more sexual tension to come mm-hmm. okay good great also to, just to you know be patronizing and sexist for a second uh hayley atwell looks great oh my god the clothes the lipstick the, the hair it. everything is <laughs> I beautiful i know she suits that style so well yeah and she always just looks so much more powerful than all the men around Mm. her because she's just like yeah i'm glamorous and all the men are like yes we're drab i already knew that she she wore all that stuff really well because she was in the bbc tv adaptation of william boyd's novel restless a couple of christmases ago where actually if you haven't seen this you will love this because charlotte rampling plays the the like older spy lady and Hayley atwell plays the like young version of her i can see that as well Mm, yeah they do look quite alike it's the older woman sort of like remembering her her time during the war and so yeah Hayley atwell plays her in the kind of flashback scenes which is most of it it's excellent i'm just discovering so much culture now (laughs) since we started this podcast of just like being snowballed by great things so Mm. i'll add that to the list but yeah no i enjoyed it i think i'll watch more Now, last week, I recommended Anna Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi, a graphic novel about growing up in Iran, which she has now read. Uh, what did you make of it? I loved it. I thought it was so brilliant. I'm wary that I'm always too enthusiastic at this part of the podcast, but whatever. I just thought it was great. It's really um, immersive. I haven't read much like it in that once you get into the world, it really like hooks you. The t- style of drawing just becomes so second nature after a while. Mm. Yeah, and you follow her through actually over really quite a long time yeah so yeah so i mean because it when it first starts she's quite little isn't she yeah it's just before the 79 revolution in iran i think when it starts 
And by the end, it's like the mid 90s. Mm. So you're with her, you know, through throughout a great period of change in her life and obviously a huge period of change in Iran. So that's really interesting and makes it very difficult to sort of put it down. I've just read it in one sitting, which was really fun. To go straight into what one of the things that really like hooked me about it, just for a bit of backstory, this is a graphic novel that's political and personal. So we're following her life as she kind of grows up, goes through school, she leaves Iran for a period of time, continues her studies, gets her first boyfriend, has sex, has a second boyfriend. I don't really want to spoil it for you, but, you know, and then does more adult things, moves back home to Iran. At the same time, there's all these big cultural, political changes going on in Iran. There's a war, and that's when she eventually leaves, when it becomes too dangerous, really, for her to stay. But one of the things that's so great about it is you do get a real amazing depth of her relationships, and I think especially her relationships with women. Yeah. And I found that really, really amazing to read. So um, her relationship with her both her parents, but her relationship with her mother's lovely. Her grandmother is a character that I just adored. I thought she was wonderful. And her friends, when she moves to other countries, the people who kind of look after her and don't look after her there's sort of a thread in it about feeling maternal there's a scene where there's a sudden bomb raid or whatever the the word is and the sirens all go off and a mother throws this baby (laughs) and just like runs down the stairs so there's that real sense of like oh in in times of crisis how strong are your personal relationships and that's something it comes back to and comes back to and you know the, the relationships of hers that endure by the end of the novel they're just so well drawn and they're so satisfying and I suppose part of that comes from the fact that it's memoir and that they're they're real <laughs> yeah absolutely and and it's it's also very I don't know it's it, I don't really have the vocabulary for talking about graphic novels but the style of it it's all in black and white mm-hmm. and this I think really suits the the sort of changes that were happening in Iran you know women were suddenly wearing sort of head-to-toe veils and, and all the stuff where they hadn't before so the contrasts you get from one panel where she and her mother are out they're wearing all of their stuff and then they come into the home and they take it all off mm. and suddenly they're just sort of sitting side by side on the sofa dressed in whatever they actually choose to wear rather than something that's been imposed on them like holding hands or whatever and that's the perfect binding for me of the political and the personal in that yeah the political is who's making them wear the veils and then the mm-hmm. personal is who they choose to be underneath them exactly and there's a real sense of her change a lot of that is very visual and her development because she goes through so many sort of incarnations of herself when she's growing up in Iran she looks sort of very I don't I don't know what the word is but she she looks very simple she's got a simple little haircut black Mm. outfit and she looks very neat and simple and then as she gets older she starts rebelling she buys a denim jacket she has patches on her outfits and uh, you know that becomes more wild and then when she moves away, she gets an extreme haircut. She's got like spiky punk hair. Mm. And then she grows it out again and she looks kind of in between sort of punky and not. And she goes through all these different phases and it's a real sense of her like understanding of the world. She goes from being a very extreme punk reactionary to actually still holding those ideals, but having a much more nuanced sense of how things happen in the world essentially and 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 what what is practical and that kind of thing the clarity with which that comes through i think is a real testament to how good she is at drawing Mm. actually given that she's just working in black and white and often with quite simple lines 
you still get the, the difference between one haircut and the next and one facial expression and the next. It's really, really good. Yeah, and the way the atmosphere changes so concretely from country to country, despite the fact that there's no real like landscapes or, no. or detailed backgrounds going on, it's very much just... I, I'm not quite sure how she does it. It seems very effortless, but I'm sure it's something she laboured over. But that, that real sense of of place and individual homes as well like when she stays with someone she doesn't like you really get the sense that it's not home and her home is so beautifully drawn and it does always feel like the absolute center of the memoir no Mm. matter how old she gets her original childhood bedrooms and, and living room feel to me like the center of the graphic novel yeah it's really really beautiful i'm really glad you liked it i only read it very recently as well and i've just been thinking about it constantly and actually Mm. feeling very very ignorant about Iran ever since yeah I mean I I wrote about Iran once uh talking about some musicians there and a a documentary that was made about the difficulties of performing musically as a woman in Iran Mm. and that's you know very recent and set now but there was a lot of recurring themes about female creativity versus a patriarchal state mm. and how that leads in with your personal female relationships, friendship, and what might drive you to move away, all that kind of stuff, which is just so beautifully done in this book. Mm. Well, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. What are you going to set me for next week? Well, so this is a film I actually saw about six months ago, maybe, when it was out in cinemas. It's by Carol Morley, and it's called The Falling. I'm not sure what you'll think of it, because I had a weird experience with this film in that I went into the cinema, felt completely entranced by it, couldn't look away. Really, the dialogue, it really hooked me, but I came away kind of feeling a bit like, was that any good? And then I thought about it nonstop for two weeks and was like, wow, that was amazing. It's basically set in a private school with teenage girls and then something bad happens and it's about how the teenagers deal with the ramifications of that sort of catastrophe. I think it's great, so I hope you'll enjoy it too. Okay, good foundation for me. I read a lot of school stories when I was a teenager. <laughs> um, I, I've read a lot of Mallory Towers and Chalet School and Enid Blyton. Okay, and all the rest this is not like this. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, what I'm but, saying is I like the boarding school in the setting. Yeah, yeah, you will enjoy that. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. I'm Anna. And I'm Caroline. You can find us on iTunes. Our Twitter is at SeriouslyPod. And if you want to send us an email, we're SeriouslyPod, S-R-S-L-Y, pod at gmail.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.